I want to talk this morning about independence, being that this is the 4th of July. I know that we were uh, beginning a series last week on the, on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue that later. But today, I really felt, or this week, I really felt inspired in my heart to, to go with independence. And really, the title, the title came before the message came. Independence through dependence. Independence through dependence. The only way that we can really be independent is through Jesus Christ. Okay, we can go home. I've said it all. What more is there to say than our independence comes through our dependence on Christ? If I'm going to try to live my life in my own way, in my own format, in my own version of religion, I'm fooling myself. There is no independence in that. If Jesus isn't the center of it, there is no independence in that. That's bondage. You know, we live in a free country. In fact, I have the American flag up here. You see that? Isn't that nice? I got that out. Floyd and I got that out of the storage room just to have it today to show how patriotic we are. You know, we live in the best country in the, in, in the world. You know that? We live in the best country in the world. There is no other country that is better than the United States of America. It gives me goosebumps to say it, but there is no better country to live in. And I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of every serviceman that has ever fought for the freedoms of this country. I am proud of every, every person, every woman, every man that has served in the military armed forces. I thank them for what they've done for us. Amen. We should be thankful to those men and those women that have, that have fought for our freedoms. Because we enjoy a freedom in this world that no other country enjoys. And yes, we have our problems. There's no question about that. We have our problems. But we're free. We're free to worship God. We're free to do the things that we want to do. We're free. But let me ask you the question. Are we really independent? Is there a difference between freedom and independence? Are we really independent of the world? That's what we're going to talk about today. What does it really mean? Freedom without rules would be complete anarchy. There must be some rules in our freedom. Whenever there are more than two people in a room, you better have some type of a rule or there's going to be a fight. <laughs> Sooner or later, two or more people are going to fight unless there are some rules in place. I wish Scott Hankins was here today. Scott is in Donner at a family reunion today, but Scott is our police officer that, that keeps us all collected and controlled in our church setting. He's also a chief, deputy chief police in the city of Charlevoix. And, and he would attest to this, but if we didn't have basic rules of conduct on the highways, it would be a disaster. Imagine what it would be like riding down the road with a bunch of, a bunch of people abiding by their own rules. They feel like they want to stop or not stop at that stop sign. If the rules are for somebody else. There's a stop sign there. There's a stoplight there. It's a red. But you know what? I don't feel like stopping today. So I'm not going to stop. What would that do to the guy coming on the intersection 90 degrees from him that had a green light? It wouldn't work out very well for either one of them, would it? So rules are very important even in a free country. We must have rules. We must have a set of boundaries. We must have something to control our conduct. That freedom really then is our choice to abide by the rules or not by the, by the rules. I am free. You're always free. To, you're a moral agent. You are a free moral agent. You choose to, rather, to decide whether or not you're going to abide by the rules or not. That's your freedom. And then there's consequences alongside of that as well. But we must have rules on the highway. We also must have rules in our spiritual life. See, we are living in the age of grace, and we talk a lot about that in our churches around this country, talking about grace. Grace is a great thing. The rules of the Old Testament days are no longer in force from Jewish custom days. Thank goodness they're not, because they were very cumbersome. But now we live, in a, we live in an age of grace. But what does that really mean to us today? What does it really mean? Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament laws. He did not come to abolish them. The, what the, the Old Testament laws, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, they're still true. 
what the Old, the Old Testament is still true. What we're free of is Jewish customs and rituals and their, their mode of sacrifice for sin because Jesus didn't atone for the sin in the Old Testament days, so they had to do it through blood offerings of animals. And it was not fun. It was messy, and it was very specifically done in, in proper procedural ways. Thank goodness today that when Jesus died on the cross, as we talked about a week or so ago, the curtain was torn from the top down, and now all men and all women have access to the throne of God. We all have access to heaven. We all have access to the throne room of God. I can't help but say that and get a little, little emotional. I can't help but understand the significance of what that means when I can go before God just by myself. I don't need anybody to take me there. I can go by myself. And I can sit at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> and I can spend some time with him. That's freedom. That's independence. So the premise I'm making today is the only way that we will have real independence is if we are totally dependent on God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live it out in this life. There are no shortcuts to that end. There are no shortcuts. You might think you figured one out. You might have looked at the map and say, I can cut this way out and I can cut around that corner. But I'm telling you right now, there are no shortcuts to independence. It has to be through the blood of Christ. I want to talk about three major areas today. I want to talk about salvation. I want to talk about following in the examples of Christ. And I want to talk about life lessons and the spiritual growth process. Three areas of becoming free and independent in this life. Number one, salvation meaning becoming independent of the old man and his sinful desires. We may think we are free because we live in a free country, but that's only a very small part of what real freedom is. Yes, we're free to what we want to do. We can do whatever we want to do this afternoon. Nobody's telling you what to do this afternoon. You can go on a boat. You can go for a walk, if you have a boat, that is. You can go for a walk. You can go for a bike ride, if you have a bike. You can take a nap. As long as your wife says it's okay. You can do all that stuff. But is that real freedom? It may be free for tomorrow and for today, but what happens when this life is over? Have you really taken the time to think about that? Are you really free? Are you really free? Free from them. See, from the moment that Adam chose sin to be his master, we are bound by our sinful nature. Our sinful nature controls our lives. And we will never be free and independent of the curse of sin and its intended consequences unless you claim your dependence on Christ. No matter what else you do, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how poor you are, no matter how much you self-sacrifice, unless you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will, you will always be bound by your sinful nature. Nothing erases that besides Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 says, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Pretty plain speaking here, right? fruit of sinful nature is death. Sinful passions create and cause death. Sin is a deceiver. No man in his right mind sets out to be destroyed. No man, when he's starting early in life and he's creating his career, no man says, I want to be destroyed. No man says, I want to be deceived. Sin is it and its addictions or its lifestyles that sneak in and destroy them are not pre-planned. They come on a man out of the blue. They come out of a man out of nowhere, seemingly, and they creep up on us. It's not, it's, it's not something that we want to do, but it's just in our nature. Romans chapter 7, verse 11, go down a little bit further in that chapter, it says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. There it is again. Sin 
and death, deceiving me to death. Paul wrote to Timothy and forewarned him that true Christians will be persecuted for their faith and others will be deceived for their lack of faith. Which one are you this morning? Are you a true Christian that you may be persecuted for your faith? Or are you a, a professing Christian that is deceived because of your lack of faith? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. In fact, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Two people, true Christians, will be persecuted. Professing Christians or evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, being deceived and deceiving others. We spoke about this a few weeks ago in our Bible study, that, that evil men and impostors, they go from bad to worse. And they're being deceived and, and constantly deceiving others. And here's the significant problem with deceivers or a person that is deceived. He doesn't know it. If a person knew he was deceived, he wouldn't stay deceived. So sin comes in and deceives us. So how do we know if we're deceived or not? The only way you know if you're deceived or not is by the Word of God. It is the only true test if we're not measuring our life, if we're not studying and reading and, and understanding the precepts of godly principles, then you don't know if you're deceived or not. Then you're being blown around by every doctrine, by every teaching that comes along, any good-feeling teaching. And a guy could be a really a smooth talker, and he can have a lot of uh, popularity in his ministry, and he could be teaching a very nice, sound doctrine. But if it's not based on the Word, guess what? You're being deceived. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not going to stand the test of time. It's not going to stand the test of eternity. So be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. And then you have to measure it against the Word. You have to get into a Bible-believing church, get around other Bible-believing people that study the Word and do some Bible studies together. Why is it so difficult to get people together to get to come together for Bible studies? And I'm just not harping on church attendance here. But let me make the statement. If you're not together with somebody studying the Bible, then how do you know if you're deceived or not? How do you know? How do you know if your idea is right? If, it, if you're not understanding what the Word says, then how do you know if you're on the right track or not? You, do, you better not be going by your feelings. You better not be going about what I feel like today. Because feelings come and go. Consciences are seared every day. So don't go on your feelings. You have to be going by the Word of God. Many of the people that we're talking here are people that, are, that may be living the American dream, or so they think. See, we have God's grace. God's grace comes to us to save us. But God's grace is not just a band-aid. We've talked about this before, and we'll keep talking about it, because God's grace is so powerful that it changes me. It just doesn't cover up my sin from my indiscretion from what I did last night. Well, thank goodness it does that. But if I do it again tonight, I'm not so sure that grace is going to keep covering up my indiscretions. Because if I'm really applying God's grace, it's changing me so that I don't sin that same sin. It doesn't make me perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But I cannot willfully keep creating. I can't willfully go down that same path over and over and over again and then keep calling on God's grace. That's trampling the grace of God. So we just have to understand the true definition of grace. Grace is power to change. Grace gives forgiveness, but then it gives the power to change. And when I apply those together, I'm a, I'm a true Christian. No longer a professing Christian, but a true Christian when I combine grace and change. Amen. So the purpose of the law, then, is to show those that are deceived that they are. If we live by feelings, they're not trustworthy. 
they will fool you. Your own person, your own manhood, your own inner man will fool you because remember, our inner man, our sinful nature is against God. It is not on the same side. That's why we must become so dependent on God's word to show us right from wrong so that we are no longer deceived by the sinful lifestyle that we get sucked into. That's why we gain our independence through our dependence. We gain independence to live a holy life. We gain independence to have heaven as our home through our dependence on God's word. And that's the only way we gain it. Can the law hurt? Absolutely it can. Is it easy? No, it's not. Does the law in itself save me? No, it doesn't. The law cannot save me. All the law does is point out my wrong. What saves me is a love of Jesus. What saves me is when I is what saves me is a King David heart. We've talked about King David here a few times. King David had a heart that when he was when he was confronted with his sin, he made no excuses. He said, "Yes, I've sinned. Please forgive me." And he was no longer sorry that he got caught, but he was truly repentant of his sin, and repentance comes with an action. Repentance comes with a turning around, going the other direction, not continuing to live in the lifestyle of that sin, but removing myself and going around the other direction and moving away from that sin. That's repentant. That's the King David heart. Yes, the law can hurt, but it's for our own good. What kind of persecution do we experience in our lives? We, some could say, we're not persecuted in this country. I, I'm free, to, I'm free to, to, to practice whatever religion I want to, I want to practice. So from that perspective, I'm, you're right. There is no persecution today when it comes to that. I can be a Christian man in my job. Yes, they may laugh at me a little bit, but I can be a Christian man. So what is this persecution Paul's talking about? Persecution can force a person to make a decision to live in comfort or lack of comfort. Persecution... I would think our biggest level of persecution today is peer pressure. Peer pressure. Kids, you, I, I don't feel, I feel sorry for you kids in school today. My heart goes out to you kids in school. The amount of peer pressure you're under daily, all we can do is pray for you. Parents, grandparents, pray for your kids. You better be praying every day for your kids. The amount of peer pressure that they're under. The world is evil. The days are evil. Let's not call it for anything that, well, that, that it's not. The days are evil. Our leadership in our schools are not godly. Otherwise, we would allow God to be in our schools. They're kicking God out. So, we have to pray God in to our kids. We have to be supporting our kids. Persecution can be very, very strong when it comes to peer pressure. But decisions that come through persecution helps develop the character of a person. We are not praying that our kids are delivered from peer pressure. That's not realistic. But what I am praying for is that my kids can stand up in the midst of it. That is the character building that God wants us to learn through this persecution. All the trials of tests and of life come for a reason. And God uses those things to develop me as a person, develop my character, to be more like Christ. So peer pressure for those and kids, it makes you make a decision. Are you going to stand for Jesus or not? When your friends are talking and giving you pressure to do what everyone else is doing, are you going to go along or not? Matthew chapter 10, verses 32, 32 and 33 says this. Whoever acknowledges me before men, now this is Jesus speaking, whoever acknowledges me, Jesus, before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do you see, does Jesus ever conditional? <laughs> Do you see any conditions here? Jesus says, you acknowledge me, I acknowledge you. You're embarrassed of me? I don't even know who you are. That's what the Bible is saying here. So kids, parents, 
grandparents. Well, I don't care what position you're in. Acknowledge Christ. Acknowledge Him. Don't be ashamed of Him. So again, my premise is that unless a person totally surrenders himself, totally surrenders his sinful man, he will never be anything but a bound and deceived man that is destined for eternal destruction. That's pretty basic. Unless you give it up, you're bound for eternal destruction. Number two, following the example of Christ, and I want to talk about two specific things that Jesus did, water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. Jesus gave, everything Jesus did was an example for us. Did Jesus need to be water baptized? No. John was baptizing for sin. Jesus had no sin to be water baptized for. But yet Jesus said, John, baptize me because I have to be, an, I, I have to be baptized. I have to be obedient to my Father, and I have to be an example for those that are coming behind me. So let's read about that. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. It says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You know, there is a whole lot to talk about here, and I want to spend a couple minutes talking about these two passages because we can skip over this very quickly. But John the Baptist is doing what he was called to do. He was preparing the way for Christ. He was baptizing. He was calling out from the desert that Jesus was coming, that the Savior was coming. And he was baptizing people of their sin, for their sin, in preparation for that. Jesus came on the scene, all of a sudden came out of the blue, just walked out of the desert, surprised John. John and Jesus were cousins, just so you know that. Um, but anyway, uh, Jesus came on the scene, and he wanted to be water baptized. And John says, no, I can't water baptize you. I'm not even worthy to unlatch your sandals, let alone baptize you. And Jesus says, John, you have to baptize me. That was paraphrased in case you didn't know it. But anyway, um, so Jesus uh, was baptized. And what's so interesting out of this is we see here in this moment, we see the Trinity coming to, be to, coming to bear. We see Jesus, who is fully God, yet fully man, beginning his earthly mission in this moment. And as he is lowered into the water and baptized, fully submerged, and he, and he raises out of the water, and he's praying as he's raising because this is an emotional time for Jesus. He's praying, and as he prays, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descends. And he comes and he rests on the head of Jesus. So here's Jesus, and here's the Holy Spirit. And then, to top it all off, God the Father shows up. And he says something. You are my son. Boy, I wish I had a deep voice right now. I wish I was that guy that uh, does all the narrations. What's his name? Earl Jones? Earl, what's his name? James Earl Jones. I wish I could do him right now. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, understand the significance of what's going on here. This is an amazing time in Jesus' life. This is the time that, that his ministry is becoming to pass. He's beginning it today. He's being recognized as who he is. And here's all these people that are around watching this. And this Jesus gets baptized. And again, he just looks like a man, by the way. He gets out of the water. His hair's matted down. His beard's dripping. His clothes are sticking to him. And we know how messy water baptism is. For those that have been water baptized, it's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of humbling because everything's running, you know, and you look kind of dis disheveled and, and discombobulated. And you come out of the water, and you're hopefully you've got water in your nose, and all that stuff's happening. It happened to Jesus, too, by the way. He was just as disorganized as everybody else when it came to getting water baptized. But he comes up, and then here's this dove that comes down. And all these people are saying, what is going on? Where is this bird coming from all of a sudden? The birds don't normally come out and land on people's heads. That was, a, or that was a, a miraculous sign. That was something that was significant happening because that was showing people that the Holy Spirit was resting on Jesus. Now, this is, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. We're talking about signs of the Holy Spirit, baptismal signs of the Holy Spirit. God was a God of signs. He gave the baptism of the Holy Spirit to Jesus through this dove resting on his head. Today, we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. All right? 
But that was a sign to everybody around that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why I say that in a minute, but let's continue on. And then here comes this voice out of heaven. This is so awesome because all of us, I know this is going to be a really tough subject, so just hear me, hear, hear me on this one. But all of us that have dads, it's built into us that we want our dads to be proud of us. We all want our dads to say, good job. We all want our dads to say, I'm proud of you. That's just how we're made. I don't understand it. Even if it's been suppressed, even if maybe I didn't have a good childhood with my dad, even if I, maybe my dad was a bum, I don't know. But you know what? There's still something within me that says, I want my dad to be proud of me. And here it is happening to Jesus. Here it is. His father speaks from heaven and he says, Son, <laughs> I love you. Dads, tell your kids you love them. Tell your kids you love them. There's nothing wrong with saying, I love you. Tell them that every day. Every time it comes to your mind, say, I love you. End your conversations on the phone, I love you. Your emails, I love you. And then he says, with you, I am well pleased. In other words, man, I'm proud of you, son. I am proud of you. Wow. You've got to know that Jesus was on an emotional high here. He was on an emotional high because now he has, he's got his, bud, his family's around him. The Holy Spirit's on his head. <laughs> really, it's all over him. Okay, he's full of the Holy Spirit. His father just spoke to him from heaven. He is on a high. There is nothing better in Jesus' life to this point in time. Now, let's read, let's read the next chapter. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying when the dove descended, that was proof that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. All right, new Christians, this is very important. This is the essence of why people don't stick to it. We've had multiple discussions with people, but why do people get saved, live for God for a little bit, and then fall away? You know why? Because they're deceived, and that Christian life is going to be easy. Nobody said it's easy. It's free. I can't do anything to earn God's salvation. It's free. But free and easy are not the same. Free and easy do not come together in the same sentence here. Here's why. Because Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, coming out of his Sunday morning experience, gets up the next day and he's got to go to work. He gets thrown right into the workplace. He gets thrown right into the pit of the enemy. He's going into the desert. And this isn't Palm Desert, Palm Springs, to play golf. This is the desert where there is tumbleweeds, there's snakes, there's scorpions, it's rocky, it's a barren place, very little water, it's hot in the day, hundreds of degrees in the day, and then cold at night, it could snow at night. He's going out there and he doesn't have a place to sleep. He, all he has on is the clothes that are on his back, and he's going to the desert for 40 days. That's not fun, but that's what he did after he caught his mountaintop experience. So Christian people understand that we are going to have problems. You are going to walk into the world and you are going to be faced with temptations. You are going to be faced with persecutions. You are going to be faced with hard times. Now it's up to you to say, am I going to live through it or not? The temptations come for a reason. They develop your character. They come to show you who you really are. Again, God's grace is free, but just because it's free doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It will cost you everything you have. God's grace is free, but salvation and living the life for God will cost you everything you have. That is total dependence on God. And with that total dependence, you will gain your independence. But unless you're willing to give it all, you're fooling yourself. What does the desert mean to you? What does it mean to you? What is it in your, in your life? Where are you in the desert time? We spoke a little bit earlier about Jesus being hungry. The desert creates a hunger. 
the desert creates a need of understanding of I cannot do this on my own. I must have some help here. The desert experience for Jesus made him very, very hungry. Imagine 40 days without eating. How hungry would you be? Yet how close to God would you be? What this hunger does, it creates a craving for something to fill us in, our, in our, the emptiness in our stomach. We crave for something to eat. We have to have something to sustain us. Spiritual hunger is a similar fashion. It creates a, a, a craving in our soul that, that only God can fill. But yet we try to fill it with so many things. We try to fill it with, with toys. We try to fill it with, with games. We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with social networking. We try to fill it with Facebook. We try to fill it with whatever it is that you spend your time on, that's, you're trying to fill that emptiness. And I'm telling you right now, just listen, please, listen. You'll never fill it with anything besides God. You'll never fill it with anything besides Jesus. So why even play the game? Just listen right now and listen closely because this is the thing that changes your life. Understand that. No wonder that people are disappointed in a Christian walk when we have the mistaken opinion that once we're saved, it's going to be all roses and smooth sailing from here on out. That is the devil bringing all kinds of misconceptions. But we see Jesus coming through the desert in a positive light. Let's not leave him there. I want to move off the desert, but I don't want to leave Jesus in the desert. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, this is the end for Jesus of his desert experience, Jesus said to him, who is him, Satan, because he's, he's had some conversations with the devil here, and he says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Do you understand what happened here? Jesus, being the Son of God, fully man, fully God at the same time, had to go to the Word. He had to go to what was written to defeat the devil. He said, For it is written, devil, serve the Lord your God and only him. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written. So therefore, if Jesus refers to the written word, then so should not we. Who then cannot, who can stand, ahead, who can stand against this devil, this, this wily force of the, of the enemy, who is very powerful, by the way. I don't want to ever tell you he's not. But he's not as powerful as the word of God. But he's more powerful than me on my own. So I cannot stand against him. I must stand in the word. Jesus was victorious. And he still was. And he still is victorious. He, he lived it. He learned how to live that. But for us, we will have a day. We will have a day that comes to us, as in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, Just as a man is destined to once die, and after that to face the judgment. And I bring this up this morning because heaven is our ability to gain heaven only on Christ, not on anything else, not on our popularity, not on our friends, not on anything else. Understand that day, that day when I stand before God, I'm going to be all alone. That's why it's so significant that the temple curtain was torn from the top to bottom so that I can stand alone with God today. I have to practice that. <laughs> I have to practice coming in God's presence alone so that when that day comes, when my day of judgment comes and I'm standing before God alone, it's not the first time. If the first time you stand before God alone is on your day of judgment, it's not going to be pretty. If that's the first time you ever got face-to-face -face with God is on your day of judgment, it's not going to be nice for you today. Your outcome is not going to be pleasant that's why he ripped the curtain in half, and that's why he's opened it up to all of us that we can come into the presence of God all by myself. And when I do that on a regular basis, I am preparing myself for that day, for that day when I can stand before him and he'll say, Mike, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. What, a, what an answer that's going to be other than who are you? Do I know you? Wow. Matthew 20:10. we already read it. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. See, God's going to ask you a set of questions. 
What did you do with my son? Were you his friend or not? Did you acknowledge him in front of your friends? Were you proud of him or were you ashamed of him? How are you going to answer those questions? You better start practicing right now. (laughs) You better start practicing right now and say, Jesus, I'm proud of you. You're my friend, and I'm going to make sure my friends know you're my friend because I want to make sure that I acknowledge you now because I want to be acknowledged in heaven. I want you to acknowledge you, me in front of your father. At that time, it would be our father. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Well, there's a pretty clear passages right there. There's no whole, not a whole lot to argue about those passages. If you're not making Jesus your first priority, if you are choosing the world's set of values, standards over God's, understand you are no friend of God. He doesn't play in the gray area very well. He wouldn't be a very good friend in the sandbox. <laughs> it's his way or no way. It's his toy. <laughs> and he'll take it home. So you have to understand that God is not in the gray area. God says, it's my toy. I'll be happy to play with you, but you're going to play with my son first. (laughs) You're going to play. We're all going to play, but you have to play with Jesus, and you have to be a good friend of his, and you have to be proud of him, and you have to take him to school with you. You have to take him to work with you. You have to take him into the world with you. If you want me to acknowledge you, if you want to be my son, you have to play with my son first, and then we'll be friends. But, you know, life sneaks up on us, doesn't it? Life sneaks up on us. Like I said before, no person ever wanted to be a serial killer. No person grew up wanting to be an evil person. No, purple, no person made it their goal to be a thief or a drunk or a drug addict or a wife beater or a child molester or a liar or a thief or even a church-going hypocrite. That was not in my set of goals. But yet, why do I fight with it? Why do you fight with it? It's because we have an enemy that is roaming the earth, as in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He is not your friend. The devil comes into your life not so that you can pet him. He wants to devour you. Do you understand that? He wants to eat you. He wants to destroy you. He does not want to be your friend. He comes as an angel of light. He comes friendly. He comes as a lie. He comes as a deception. But he does not want to be your friend. He comes in to kill you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. But it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Just because it seems right to me, If it's not lining up with God's word, it leads to death. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. I need a drink of water. My lips are getting sticky. What was that that saying that somebody said yesterday about um, a friend? It's like a pair of what? Thighs? They always stick together? Or whatever, something about... I'm sorry. That wasn't in my notes, by the way. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. This passage is talking about me and you. This, talk, this passage is talking to some of those that have known the right way at, some, at one point in time, that have had a faith in Christ. And some will abandon the faith. And they will follow deceiving spirits. These are the people who think they can gain independence or freedom by making up their own version of Christianity that suits their own lifestyle or comfort. You better think about that one for a minute. Because we all have that tendency, don't we? We all have that tendency to make up our own version of Christianity that fits my style. Uh, that's who I am. Lady Gaga, 
So I was made. Or what's that? What's that song she sings? I was made that way. Okay. What? I was born this way. You can tell I don't listen to Lady Gaga very much. <laughs> I have heard her though. Let's keep going. I'm going to get in trouble. I can see it right now. It's getting. Into, I'm going to get in trouble. Scott Pythos would say, "Stick to your notes, Mike." But this passage is talking about people like you and I that have one time have known the truth and yet we have been deceived by spirits and taught by demons. Now, hold a, hold a minute here. What, de- what demonics? I've never been taught by a demon. Has anybody seen a demon here? Has anybody been taught by a demon here? I'll tell you what demonic teaching is. Demonic teaching is anything that is contrary to the Word of God. That's demonic teaching. Demonic teaching is a lie of compromise. Demonic teaching is a lie that says, I'm only going to live in prosperity. Demonic teaching is that I just have to be a good person and I'm going to get to heaven. Demonic teaching is the thought that a loving God would never send a person to hell. That's demonic teaching because the penalty of sin is death. I don't care what any smooth-talking preacher wants to say. Demonic teaching is saying that no gracious God, all will be saved. That does not say that in the Bible anywhere. It does not say that. That's demonic teaching, and it's false teaching. It's heresy. Stay away from that. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, it says, Blessed is the man who who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. See, just as living a life of sin is progressionary, so is living a life for God. We say that I didn't start out to be an evil person. But let me tell you how it happens. Let's continue reading in James, the first chapter of James. Let's go down to verse 13. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So that's how we go down that path of evil. But first we have an idea. We have an idea that gets into our head. We think about it. We think about it. We dwell on it. We fantasize over it. Or we imagine ourselves doing it. Or we're with a group of friends that are saying it's okay to do it. And then that sin begins to... Uh, manifest itself and it, and it begins to sound good. It begins to say, well, that's not so bad. It's kind of sound, sounds like um, Eve with the devil in the garden. It's not so bad. It's a good piece of fruit. Did God really say? He'll, the, the first thing the devil's going to say is, did God really say? Are you really not supposed to do that? See, it, it starts to, it, it, it comes as a thought, it, then we start thinking about it, and it conceives. And then when it conceives, it gives birth. A living thing starts to happen now to sin. And when sin is then full grown, it comes out in our life, it's full grown, it produces death. That's the progressionary steps of sin. So young person, old person, mom or dad, when you start having thoughts, when you start watching shows you shouldn't be watching, when you're on the Internet sites, when you're with friends that are trying to get you to to pop something or smoke something or drink something, understand what that is. That's the beginning of sin. The temptation is not to sin, okay? But now you start dwelling on it, you're thinking about it, okay? You start justifying things. All the other kids are doing it. Everybody else is drinking. All the other ones are having sex or exploring it. Everyone else is cheating on your expense accounts. Everybody else is taking advantage of long lunch hours or stealing from their employers or or whatever it is. So that's how the justification begins. But it ends with destruction. As I get ready to conclude this morning, let me end with this scripture and a few other comments. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, it says, Enter through the gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's 100% contrary to the world, isn't it? This is one of those un politically incorrect statements to make. about that a long time ago, about coughing in a microphone. But politically, it's not right to say that. But that's what the Bible says. Listen, folks. Many will find the road to destruction. It's an easy road. It's a wide road. The road to heaven is a narrow road. It's a hard road. Few will find it, but those that find it they will never regret it. They will never regret it. There is no regret with righteous living. There is no regret with doing right. You will never regret it the morning after when you say no. You will never regret it when you have to go home and you can walk proudly into your parents' home and not have, the, not have them smell your breath. You will never regret it when you go with that relationship with that girlfriend or boyfriend and don't go too far. You will never regret that. But there is all kinds of regret if you fall down. There's all kinds of regret when you cheat on your spouse, when you cheat on your employer, when you do the wrong things. There's all kinds of regret for that. The devil, let's understand who he is. He is ugly. You belong, John chapter 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So let's just get a vision who the devil is. The devil is ugly. The devil is a monster. The devil is a liar. The devil is just as mean as you can create him in your mind to be. There is not one good thing in the devil. Not one thing. Not one lie he can tell you will be good because that's all he speaks is lies. You can live for Jesus. You can do it. You can do it. You can take your stand against the, the devil. You can do it. It's not that hard. Understand the only way we're really going to enjoy life, the only way we're really going to be independent of life is through Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about the world being so evil. Listen, if you really want to enjoy the world, then become dependent on Jesus. And then you will enjoy the world. You can enjoy your boats. You can enjoy your cars. You can enjoy health. You can enjoy prosperity. You can enjoy all of that if you put Jesus first. But if you don't put him first, you will not enjoy that. I tell you, you, have, you may have a season for it, but there's going to be regret that comes afterwards. So we can enjoy the world. God created the world. It's his creation. He made it for us to enjoy. We enjoy it when we, when we are depending on him. We have our independence through dependence. That's the lifestyle that we have to live. And it's not too hard. Is it hard? Yes. Is it rewarding? Yes. Will it end with life ever? Yes. Will there be no regrets? No. Life for Jesus is a good life. It's a good life. It's the life we want to live. Jackie, if you'd come, please. See, the devil already right now, I know what he's whispering in people's ears because I'm hearing it. The devil says, nah, it's not for you. The devil's saying, that's for him. He's a preacher. He can do it. Or, it's for my mom and dad. They're old people. They're boring anyways. They can do it. But no, I, I've got my life to live. I, I've got to have my fun. I've got my friends that I don't want to be embarrassed in front of. I've got my career. I've got my, my, my lifestyle. I've, I've got my things. I've got my, 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 my. That's the devil is telling you. I've got my stuff. Understand who's telling you that. Understand the ugly person that's saying that to you this morning. Understand that he doesn't want anything good for you. All he wants to do is devour you. So why do you listen to him? 
I guarantee you right now, if he was in bodily form right now, you would be running from this place. If you could see the devil, you would run away from him. I'm trying to give you a word picture. I'm trying to describe to him what he is, to you what he is, how ugly and how strong and how evil and how much of destruction he wants for you. And I'm trying to give a picture of Jesus at the same time. Larry, do you have that picture of Jesus that you can throw up, that one hugging that little lady that looks like Jenna? (laughs) See, that's Jesus. Doesn't that look like Jenna? Oh, sorry, it does to me. Maybe that's just because it shows the love of Jesus for me and for my kids and for your kids. That's Jesus. Do you see anything there in that picture that is evil? Do you, think, do you see anything there in that picture that you should run away from? Wow. I'm telling you, people, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, it gets messy. I'm sorry, it does. When the Holy Spirit is in your heart and you feel the presence of God, just go with it. Don't fight him. Don't fight him. I'm just going to open the altars up right now. Anybody here right now that wants to feel the presence of Jesus, I want you to come forward. Anybody here that wants to feel the presence of Jesus, stand up. Be bold. Stand up. I'm not saying that you're a sinner. I'm not calling a sin. This is not a sin thing here. This is who wants to experience Jesus. Who wants to be that person in his arms? There's nobody here? Come down. If you want to experience Jesus, come on down here. This is practice now for you guys. This is practice. This is your one-on-one time with God. This is your one-on-one time, okay? If you can't be here, if you can't do this right now, I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not trying to hype it. I'm just trying for people to understand the significance of what it means to get a relationship with God. And you do that on your knees. You do that one-on-one. If you know the Word of God, but you're not willing to come before Him, then I question some things. And it's not me questioning. You're not doing it to please me, but you're doing it to please your Father in Heaven because someday you're going to stand ahead in front of Him. And if that's your first time... Oh, Father, we just surrender our heart and life to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to sing the song that Jackie's playing, and we're just going to encourage you as well. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
it's so important that we take these times like this and just show God that he is important to us and that we just express our gratitude to him like this. You will never regret this. You will never regret the time that you give to Jesus. You will never regret it. It will be sweet for you. Now let me give you a word of encouragement as well. You need to do this even when you're not feeling like it. Because there's going to come a time when you're not going to feel like doing this tomorrow morning maybe or Wednesday morning or whatever. But you know what? That's the time to do it. That's the time to make yourself. Get control of yourself. Be alert. Be alert in what you're doing. And understand when the time comes to say, I don't want to be that way, that is exactly the time to be that way because that's when the devil is fighting against you. Understand, Jesus went to the desert. You're going to go to the desert. You're going to have the temptations. But be strong. Moms, dads, be strong for your kids. Let them see you worshiping God. Be an example. Be a leader for them. Do not be ashamed in front of your kids about being alive for Jesus. Kids, do not be ashamed in front of your peers. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I just pray your blessing this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing on all of us this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to us. Thank you for coming in the, in the word uh, that you've given uh, to us today. And Lord, now I pray a blessing on these people today as we go to our homes and as we go to our occupancies and as we go to our fun. Lord, that we can enjoy the fun of this day because we are totally dependent on you and our independence of the world and our independence of the pull of this world is now depleted and gone because now I am dependent on you, Jesus, and you alone. And help me to ever want that more and more and more in my life. Let me not be comfortable. Let me not be adequate in my own abilities. But Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a hunger, Jesus, that you had when you came out of your desert experience. Let me never be satisfied with anything less. Let me never compromise one thing in my life. Go with us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. If you want to stay and pray, the altars are open. Otherwise, you're free to go. Thank you for being here today. Enjoy the fourth.